same thing for toxicity i think the toxicity like dude bitcoiners are the nicest people i've met ever it's an amazing community it's an amazing group of of diverse people with different interests but like uncompromising integrity and like intellectually rigorous thinking that is super critical of mainstream narratives and 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 narratives in general is is the common denominator to everyone and i think this is super i mean it's amazing because like you you realize how how much of a better person you become right yeah like personally i've grown like tremendously over the last three four years being yeah. exposed to that intellectual rigor just forces you to be a better version of yourself without being cheesy it it actually is the case uh, well, I, I would agree that there is intellectual rigor, but there are also a lot of people that are just parroting, you know, kind of the memes and parroting the, the selling points of Bitcoin, too. And they don't actually have that intellectual rigor, too. So, of course, you can't weed them all out. But I think the fact that, you know, even the quote unquote sheeple are picking up on Bitcoin memes is a pretty bullish sign. For sure. I mean, it, it, it's like inescapable, right? I think Bitstein did a really amazing talk about this at the last conference in Austin, right? Bitblock Boom. 2019. About, 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was there in person. About was meaning fantastic. Bitcoin to the moon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I wish I was. Fast forward one year. Edition. Yeah. <laughs> and you get MicroStrategy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he will be there probably. Who knows, right? The ultimate uh, Chad. Oh yeah. He better come to Bitcoin 2021. That's all I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 2021, even like it, this is the year it's, you, you can't miss it. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's already shaping up to be amazing. I know you're going to be there and so is Knox, but yeah, a lot of exciting announcements to come. Let me just say that. Oh yeah. Um, so I mean, right Tim, now your, your headlines are Nick Zabo and this is skateboard guy, right? Yeah. Tony Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was from 2020 carryover. We're still working with them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for that. But Tib, I actually, I've been recording for like the past like five minutes and I'm glad nice. I caught you talking about like the Bitcoin community. This is the Bitcoin Magazine podcast and I'm sitting here with the CEO of Knox Custody. Tib, how do you pronounce your last name? Full name is Thibaut Marichal. Marichal. You can there you go. It, uh, an American accent. Well, and Tim I just to correct, I, I am not the CEO of Knox. Alex oh, I'm sorry, Kastel the co-founder. Is the CEO. Um, oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all good, I'm man. sorry. Gosh, no, no, I got to no, get my, no. I got to get my deeds straight, man. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no matter what, founder of, co-founder of Knox and a fantastic Bitcoin thought leader and writer and builder. And I'm really excited to have you here. And we're going to talk about a piece that you recently published on Bitcoin Magazine, The Great Plague of Shitcoinery. I'm excited to dive into a bunch of these little topics and kind of tease out what turned into a, a smash hit of an article. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been meaning to write this article for, for a long time. You know, like you have a bunch of articles that you stack in your drafts for months. And sometimes that's 100% of my articles. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, like a lot of Bitcoiners, I'm pretty sure it's like the, the same state of writing. And anyway, I was looking back at my backlog of, of articles and I was like, damn, I should really write something about this shit corny thing. Cause we keep referring to it on Twitter and it's become sort of a meme. And, and, and I keep having the same conversations over and over again with some friends on Twitter with, you know, names and all that. 
And yeah, I mean, it came along quite naturally. I was actually in the train to Paris to go and, and meet a few, a few Bitcoiners over there from Nice in the south of France. And I was like, let's, let's write it. And it, yeah, it came along pretty, pretty naturally. And in terms of really, I guess that the thesis behind this article is that shitcoinry is nothing new. It's something that we've been experiencing for not only decades or, you know, centuries, but millennia. And yeah, you realize that the temptation to control money production overall has been around forever since the dawn of time, since the Roman Empire, you know, essentially minted their first uh, gold coins. And, and yeah, it's just a different form, uh, different sets of people, different narratives, but the same root problem. And this is exactly what Satoshi Nakamoto said to destroy in you know, 2008, in October, when he published the white paper. And so I thought there, there needed to be a piece just for myself, like as a, as, a, as a clear evidence that I am not mistaken in believing that you know, there is only Bitcoin that truly matters. And of course, I was kind of uh, already pretty convinced of that state of, of life, right? It's not even a perspective to me. It's like a irrefutable axiom of life that Bitcoin is the only implementation of money that does matter today and that will matter in the next hundreds of years. And so I, I, yeah, I thought there needed to be a piece to recap it all and, and sort of look back in history to sort of, you know, be able to project ourselves in the future and understand that phenomenon of shitcoinry and how how it is basically a massive misallocation of time, energy, and capital, and and just reflect on that on that uh, perspective. Yeah, I'm someone who actually has kind of an unpopular opinion about the uses of shitcoin as they're implemented today, but. I generally 100% agree with you in terms of the long-term trajectory and the fact that Bitcoin is the only thing that matters. And that is 100% true. 21 million is the only thing that matters. But one of my favorite things about your piece is your historical lens, because it really does show that shitcoining is not something that's new. And you go and you tease out and you define like seniorage in this idea. So let's start with that. Like, what is seniorage? How did it come to be? And how is it kind of something that people are wrestling over even today? For sure. Yeah. I mean, if you look at anthropology and you sort of study waves of human evolution, you look at, of course, you know, the feudal societies and then state driven societies and how they sort of evolved over time. And previously, roughly in the 14th century, Seniorage was already quite a predominant exclusive right and privilege reserved to a few elite, mostly lords. And lords had this ability to essentially mint currency using precious metals. And in the process of doing so, were extracting a fee from it, which came from the French word brassage. Brassage means you're, you're mixing things. And so essentially, the, the, the process of seniorage was that as a lord, you would collect all the coins on a given territory, essentially allowing your, your, you know, the people, the pleb living on your, on your land to have access to a newly updated type of coin. 
with say a new a new face of the Lord or something. And in that process, either the Lord would essentially dilute the monetary, the, the metal composition of the coins and add a little bit of less valuable metal and essentially create additional supply, right? Or, you know, later on what we've seen was just clipping. Clipping was sort of a, I would say, was a an, orthor- an orthogonal type of process outside of seniorage, which, which would essentially reduce the the sort of the, the metal component of, of a coin and essentially extract value from this. And then in both cases, you would just remelt the metal and issue additional units of coins. And all of a sudden, you know, that that privilege of creating new currency out of nothing came about. And so that that was the seniorage privilege. And so it was really understood as a tax that lords would be able to enforce on the population. And merchants and other businesses using those currencies in that particular jurisdiction and territory would essentially be required to use the newly minted coin anyway, because they had the new updated designs or whatnot. And, And so it was kind of required taxation, right? Yeah, that makes complete sense. And the next step after you explained that history of seniorage and and what that looks like is you really put Bitcoin into the context of a decentralized mint. So it's not just this unit that's uncorruptible, but it's also this mint and this way to create and distribute currency that is also uncorruptible and completely decentralized. Can you kind of talk about that framing and why that is a, a good mental model to use? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, because the temptation to mint your own your own coin and essentially access to that privilege of seniorage, the reason because it is so tempting to human beings, you, you realize that sort of decentralizing that ability and requiring people who want to access that privilege to actually show work, it sort of levels the playing field big time because essentially you're allowing anybody to you know participate in that seniorage, but they have to prove that they've done the work. And it doesn't matter who you know, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, what status you have or whatnot, you have to do the work. And the network is completely immoral. It doesn't care about any of the other you know parameters that we've just you know listed and and therefore it, it really makes for a, an extremely fair arbitration mechanism when it comes to accessing that privilege of seniorage and yeah i mean it, it's a massive game changer because it's been again a process that or a phenomenon or a problem that we've been struggling with for, for a long time, you know, some would argue that this problem has been around since currency has been around, pretty much. Because again, like, if you're looking from a super basic, even like biological evolution type of perspective, anybody, any plant, any animal want to be able to do more with less. Like, it's just, you want to be productive, you want to be efficient. That's how... You accumulate surplus, that's how you, you know, save time. And that's how you basically take that surplus and additional time that you save for yourself to do other things and expand and grow and reproduce and take over. And money is essentially that. 
it's it's an instrument which allows you to do this and so if you can produce anything any money out of nowhere for sure it's going to be tempting and so anyway yeah it's bitcoin fixes this big time and, and so yeah you, when you understand this um i think it's pretty trivial to to realize that most other projects are are actually just a continuation of the problem that bitcoin fixes because bitcoin made the process by which one creates money trivially easy like now anybody like you and i we can go on one of these websites on in the crypto or shitcoinery type of industry and you can create a coin for yourself in you know an afternoon maybe less today and then you can market it to your friends to other people who are you know and naive enough or gullible enough to sort of believe in your narrative and and then you know buy buy the whole the whole narrative and so yeah bitcoin really in that sense is is just extremely fair because it requires humans to to actually do the work um yeah and something that kind of speak to that specific point I was on a panel with Jan Pritzker, the CTO of Swan Bitcoin, and he was talking about the long tail of shit coins on the coin market cap, right? And he was saying that that's actually makes it easier to differentiate Bitcoin because now you can be like, look at all this stuff. All of this stuff has been circulating and changing and never stays on this list for very long. And then one thing is consistently at the top and that's Bitcoin. And it just makes it really easy. Like, how are you going to keep track of all this junk when in, it's just so much easier just to like focus at that top thing? So even looking at like a country, a sovereign, Venezuela, although it is the joke of you know sovereignties at this point, they created a cryptocurrency, like right? It's trivially easy, but yet no one paid it any attention. No one cared about it. It's just part of the noise that is you know the hydra of shit coins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how ironical, right? That Venezuela mints an, uh, their own cryptocurrency, and <clears throat> we have a, a group going in in Europe now, uh, the EU Bitcoiners group on Telegram, and we were sharing articles on on that. Like the ECB, they've been pushing for a digital euro, whatever that means, because you know if you look at the amount of circulating supply of the euro, mostly digital today already. So anyway. And someone shared an article around the BitPound. And the BitPound is actually a serious proposal by the Bank of England. I wouldn't say it's a formal proposal. It's more of a, it's an exploratory avenue. But I mean, they've been public about it. Like the chairman or, or whatever role the guy has at the, at the Bank of England, they've been explaining that the BitPound could be a thing where as a sovereign state, being able to mint their own digital currency England would like to push that um, you know, digital currency globally so that they get back their reserve currency status that they've had back in the days, right? And Lol. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> Everyone wants seniorage. It just shows you. There's a famous yeah. article written by Michael Bitstein, Michael Goldstein, titled, Everyone is a Scammer. Everyone wants your Bitcoin. Everyone wants seniorage. Everyone wants that privilege. And... It's it's just so obvious now. It is so obvious, man. I mean, like wh when you sort of see how all central banks are essentially struggling with, you know, 
just the narrative of their of their currency and and the fact that most national currencies have been basically limited to a territory and the only reason why these currencies still exist today is because of legal tender laws which protect them and now you realize that they're all going to essentially battle to concur other jurisdictions with you know pseudo basket of currencies or just better efficiency or better financial surveillance or, or whatnot i mean a it's an orwellian future it's absolutely terrible for consumers using those products those financial instruments but b like if you look at it from a pure like monetary darwinism standpoint like they have zero differentiator like monetarily speaking if you if you observe different properties that make up for a good money and you know we've we've sort of like we, we know the list right it's like has to be scarce durable portable divisible like the whole the whole shebang all these currencies essentially have the same property the, the same list of properties and so there is zero way to differentiate them besides one particular component which is the monetary policy itself right how aggressive the central bank issuing that currency how is how aggressive is it going to be in essentially printing new units of it to fund to fund government programs and buy bonds and and other types of assets that you know no sane private investors would ever put on their balance sheet yeah i mean if you look at this from from that angle and i i cover that point in the article the the market of money is a is a winner take all market and it's a brutal fight of darwinism that completely destroys all other competing entities and there's only one winner and that winner is essentially the implementation which which has the most credible monetary policy and the most credible monetary policy is a monetary policy which is immutable which is verifiable by anybody even someone with no computer literacy and no specialized hardware or skills in computer science or any other economic type of skill set and and that is bitcoin and so once you realize this you're like okay it's essentially it's inevitable like as bitcoin keeps on on waking up different minds on the internet you you just realize that all these other fiat national currencies they will try to compete on that scene they will try to digitize again whatever that means and they will fail they will miserably fail and bitcoin will will just take over i mean if you again understand the internet as a rising nation which has no border right it sort of it encapsulates any territory any living human being what well, bitcoin it's a, it's the native currency of that of that land of that digital land so yeah it's going to annihilate you know most most other money markets as as also most economic activity moves from meat space to the internet and it's we're seeing there. it today it's already there right most of exactly. it is on the internet exactly like you look at you know the highest the, the the highest market capitalization today are are companies operating on the internet whether it's facebook whether it's you know even apple like the reason why apple is successful sure they sell hardware devices and they make a lot of money from that but like their hardware devices wouldn't be as valuable if they weren't 
connected in on the internet. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just obvious. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that line specifically about Bitcoin as a nation in the world going digital, it's straight out of the sovereign individual, which is probably the most, one of the most influential books in the Bitcoin community. So if you're listening, mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this, you gotta, you gotta read this book. 19, was it 1997? You know, really just way advanced on so many macro topics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to admit shamefully, I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> it's, it's like the Bible, man. It's like one yeah. of those books that you just slowly chew through it and then you read it again once you're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Hey, so kind of transitioning, you know, you did talk about CBDCs, which is like, it's pretty crazy that we're calling central bank digital currencies a joke in shit coins. And we're comparing them to these other shit coins that are currently in the market. But all of these things, like you said, the only thing that really differentiates them on a monetary perspective is that monetary is that the monetary policy. Everything else is like it's already the same. They're all infinitely divisible. They're all digital. They're all whatever. So, like, talk about like when people are selling these shit coins, they're not selling the monetary aspect. They're selling the tech narrative. They're saying this has this technical superiority for whatever reason. But you know, you're arguing that that's missing the point completely. Can you talk about like this perspective, the tech narrative versus the the monetary narrative and why you should be focusing on the monetary narrative? Yeah, most definitely. When I came to Bitcoin or crypto, I came from a tech background. Like I studied a little bit of inf- like information technology and computer science at school. I've always been quote unquote in the tech scene and I was working at a at a venture firm, you know, I was the classic type of tech bro. And, <laughs> and so the technology, re- <laughs> yeah, right. The technology revolution narratives of crypto and in particular Ethereum as a global and stoppable computer was extremely appealing. Like it felt right. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, we can decentralize the web. Let's do it. And Essentially, what, what I came to realize over the years is that there are many different narratives competing for attention, competing for capital, and they're all wrong. And as, as a user, as an investor, as a potential developer, you want to make sure that you start off with the right heuristics, meaning the right approach, the right filter to make to make sense of this space and have and evaluate essentially what you're getting yourself into and bitcoin is it's a monetary evolution there it's not a technology revolution and a lot of projects are going to compete on that heuristic they're going to essentially put in the minds of of investors or or developers even and researchers and whatnot, or business operators even. VCs. That VCs, most definitely. Bitcoin yeah, crushes like, VCs' in, in, <laughs> intuitions. Yeah, no, definitely. But look, man, you look at developers, the Ethereum community, quote unquote, they attracted a lot of developer talent. Why? Well, because of the whole narrative behind like Turing completeness and like the fact that you could fit in as many things as you could in the base layer of the protocol. And, you know, People who understand public internet and computer protocol development 
know that different layers of protocols evolve and they are focused on different sets of concerns and optimized for different things and have different trade-offs in terms of security, performance, usability, and that's sort of expected. But that, that's beyond the point, right? If you, if you really focus on the narratives, the narrative goes as, well, Ethereum or, or EOS or, or Tezos or all these other things that I, I, I stopped caring about essentially compete on, on that heuristic and will attract people on the pseudo merits that they're more, they have better performance, that they have better marketing or, or better usability or better user experience or better developer onboarding experience. Dev fund. Exactly. Dev taxes. Better grants. <laughs> yeah. And or that it's more inclusive or whatnot. And in the end, all of that is noise because there lacks a fundamental element, in my opinion, which is the unforgeable costliness of, of a protocol and the sort of immaculate conception which came about with Bitcoin. And those two terms seem to be pretty you know, heavy loaded with like, like a lot of complexity, but they're pretty simple. Like the, the first one, like unforgeable costliness, it's like you can't fake the cost to write on the ledger of Bitcoin. Like if ever you want to add a transaction, if ever you want to have a, a right access to that database, you got to pay a pretty high cost. And so you're going to make sure as a rational human being or a rational business that the, you know, what you're trying to write is, is honest and is worth it. Otherwise, you're just not going to do it, right? And so the second thing when it comes to the immaculate conception, it's like it's pretty much, pretty much a miracle that Bitcoin is, has been created because it was, you know, the whole distribution of Bitcoin was fair. And I think Dan Held wrote a really good article about this back in the you know 2017 or 16. And you know, Satoshi Nakamoto like didn't do any pre-mine, didn't do any sort of like accelerated vesting or whatnot like there's there was just work performed by cpus and some people would be like yeah but like it was cpus before and now it's asics and asics are more expensive so it's like less fair and you're like no it's just pure competition prior back in the days nobody cared about bitcoin it was just like it was actually labeled as a failed project at birth like if you read the, the posts on the forum in 2009, 10, or 11. Uh, and there's a really good book on this, by the way. It's uh, The Book of Satoshi by a guy, I forgot the name of the author, but he did a, an amazing job basically going on all the forums and like putting together chronological orders of events of all these discussions. And it's phenomenal because you realize that even the cypherpunks, even the cryptographers, researchers, and, and people who were bullish on, on an e-cash on the internet actually disqualified bitcoin right away like you know and well, anyway that's what made hal finney so amazing is because he was immediately interested and he immediately contacted satoshi yeah 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 exactly right. yeah hal even finney greg was, maxwell like dismissed it right I, and and maybe even adam back like some of the bitcoin people right now dismissed yeah. it ever. Yeah. And I, I tweeted something, I think it was yesterday or, or perhaps earlier this morning about, about this, like the fact that everybody's wrong about Bitcoin in the beginning, everyone. 
whether you're in everyone's you know, still global. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. So we don't know nothing. Bitcoin's this huge oh. elephant and we're blind men just trying to figure out what WTF is in front of us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I meant in the way that you reject it. That's what I mean, right? I think, yeah, the whole market is wrong. Bitcoin has been mispriced for the last 12 years and will be mispriced for a long time again. Who knows how long? But open-minded individuals who sort of like, try to get rid of their pride and, and try to control their ego, we'll sort of find a way in and we'll find a, a sort of a, the ability to be open to the idea that, that money can exist in a different form. But anyway, back to the original point, cryptocurrencies are going to be leveraging that technological revolution narrative. And the unfortunate reality is that they will oftentimes or most of the time, leverage the information asymmetry that is in the space, right? This notion that some people know more than others, and because there's an unnecessary level of complexity, you know, when you look at cryptography and distributed networks and economics and all of that, as a noob, you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna have to trust someone to feed you with like information that you can't really verify at first. Because if you're trying to verify everything, you're just going to go over overload and information overload and you're going to burn out. <laughs> and I mean, even as you intermediate advanced, there's fractals of that. So like, that's something that is pretty much never escaped in Bitcoin. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, personally, the more I learn about Bitcoin and look, I spend 24 seven in Bitcoin. I mean, I dream about it. I wake up and read about it, talk about it, write about it, work in it. And the more I learn about it, the more I realize how little I know. And it's insane. And also the more I realize how early we are. And that's another, that's another interesting phenomenon. It's like anybody hearing about Bitcoin at first think they're late to the game. And they will look for the next Bitcoin. They will be like, okay, I got to find, find a new project which has little existence which can pump as much as bitcoin have pumped in the past and they will sort of fall in the trap of the technological revolution and the fact that new projects are you know more interesting more efficient and, and just better than bitcoin and that's how you get wrecked yeah absolutely that's how you get wrecked and it, it's really it's the monetary thing and it's going to be really interesting watching the Rao pauls the michael sailors these, you know, very intelligent people that are discovering Bitcoin and jumping in heads first, you know, rub up with that narrative too, because we're already seeing, you know, the real vision crypto and a lot of this stuff coming out of like that narrative. They obviously are understanding the Bitcoin memes, but they haven't quite dismissed the shitcoin memes and the the tech narrative that, that you're discussing. Yeah, I mean, so... I, I would put Michael Saylor and Ralph Pal in different buckets. I think Michael Saylor has done his homework and he's a maximalist and he understands Bitcoin and, and as and he's a technologist, right? I mean he's he's been writing about mobile waves and, and other like you know edge computing and other types of phenomenon or trends in the in the past. And he's been pretty vocal about the fact that Bitcoin is a monetary evolution and the fact that there is no other implementation that has any chance of, of even competing. While Raul Pal, even though he's a super smart dude 
and uh, has a lot of interesting analysis to provide to the space, generally speaking. Interestingly enough, he's a, he's a shitcoiner. He, he tolerates, not even tolerates, but believes in the narrative that Ethereum will be a thing in, in 50 years. And that's interesting to me. I, I can understand that a quant is not going to care whether or not they invest in Bitcoin or not invest, but trade in Bitcoin or bananas or, or Ethereum or, or any other type of shitcoin because they're looking for one thing and one thing only, which is volatility. But, and, and perhaps that is sort of the trading aspect of, of RailPal and other folks in, in the macro scene. But if you look at the fundamentals, there's zero fundamental for Ethereum. It's just a bunch of narratives. So very like different buckets. Like you, you realize how much skin in the game, for instance, Michael Saylor has. Because Michael Saylor, he sees this as, you mentioned it, right? Like it's, he's not selling for the next hundred years. Sure, maybe it's a catchy headline and it's a catchy tweet and maybe he's going to sell a bit earlier, probably, or who knows, right? Maybe he's actually going to huddle for 100 years. Good for him. How, what percentage he sells, right? Right, exactly. I, I feel like true Bitcoiners never sell all their Bitcoin. It's just how much, you know, how much do they apply a high time preference to? Yeah, and it's also risk management, right? Like if you're, if you're overly exposed to, a, to an asset and cash being one, you know, one asset and Bitcoin being cash, you, you can like rebalance your portfolio. Like it's your, at your discretion, right? As long as you have a, I guess, a, a plan. But yeah, I mean, the point is again, like Michael Saylor is the, he's a responsible business operator, he's a responsible CEO. And he's sort of decided that the best use of his additional dry powder was to be allocated to Bitcoin and not Ethereum and no other type of alternative implementation. And that tells you how, how essentially there is a real pragmatic decision-making in allocating capital to Bitcoin as cash and speculating on interesting and appealing narratives in shitcoin land. So you bring up a fantastic point, and this is something that I see actually play out in use cases, right? So shitcoin land, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of leverage, a lot of pumping and dumping, whatever, like that, it, 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 it is a place for traders. But when it comes to people needing to tap into online liquidity, there's really only one place and that's Bitcoin. And you can see this in practice because there are businesses now that are operating as money transmitters across the globe. Businesses like value out of Columbia, Paxville, one of the biggest P2P exchanges, even BitRefill, like that are tapping into Bitcoin's liquidity stream and they're trading other things against it, right? So things like gift cards, things like, you know, smaller fiat currencies, you know, like you can burn millions of dollars worth of Bolivar against Bitcoin. There's very, very few currencies that actually has that much liquidity against a shitty currency like boulevards. Uh, but because Bitcoin is this permissionless liquidity layer, this thing that you can trade anything against without asking for permission, it's this place that you can do that. And none of these other businesses are tapping into any other liquidity pool. They're all using Bitcoin. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, network effects like Metcalf's law and, and other types of, of network type of attraction and, and gravitational pools, money is the strongest, right? And Bitcoin being a, 
a monetized asset that will at some point turn into you know the globally accepted money it is the ultimate network effect it is completely inescapable and liquidity is the ultimate proxy of that it's the ultimate metric when we talk about like money being the most saleable good saleability is represented by liquidity right the most liquid an asset is the most saleable it is and the most money it is it's interesting because you look at the infrastructure that is being built around bitcoin like the, the first like the previous cycle of growth was around exchanges and building order books to essentially allow price discovery for bitcoin so now you have fragmented liquidity across so many different venues like how many exchanges exist today right like a lot and interestingly enough shitcoinry has been a really good bootstrap layer a bootstrap phase i should say for for the you know the price discovery of bitcoin and the liquidity strengthening of of bitcoin as as a money as a monetary asset and that would be my second, argument for shitcoins as a bitcoin shitcoin apologist that's my that's my <laughs> justification for why they're good they are they are part of the bitcoin ecosystem you trade shitcoins against bitcoin it's part of you know the what bitcoin is building definitely and i mean like if you look at what preston pish has been saying bitcoin as a numerator right as the sort of like unit of account for most investors like i personally price most things in btc now or in sats because it still takes a, an active effort sometimes but it, it sort of is it sort of is that new paradigm for me it's going to be the case for a bunch of, of fund managers and traditional markets at some point but the point that i want to make here is that shitcoin traders they already price everything in btc if they're pricing their returns in dollars they're they're wrong they're stupid right and so most of these traders are already using Bitcoin as a unit of account. Now, going back to that like evolution of infrastructure, you've seen so a rise in liquidity of Bitcoin across multiple different venues with multiple different order books, which is great because it, ge it gave Bitcoin multiple different venues where its price is discovered between buyers and sellers, right? And... Today, what we're seeing is actually a, the, the underlying pipes connecting those different venues. So it's like actually market makers and liquidity provisioning agents and smart order routers, which are essentially connecting all these venues where the price is being discovered, allowing the global liquidity pool of Bitcoin to flow on a 24-7 like stream. And it's amazing because now that you've, getting, you've gotten like actual good price discovery processes in different venues, you're now essentially moving a step further into the monetization process of Bitcoin with that new infrastructure. And at some point, it's just like, you can't catch up on all of that infrastructure. It's just game over. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just kind of to talk about Bitcoin's advantage from having all of these different layers of exchanges and all of this different price discovery that's happening. There is some statistics that are emerging that are showing that the amount of trading time that Bitcoin has experienced because it's a 24-hour nonstop market compared to the New York Stock Exchange, like Bitcoin has almost surpassed trading time. Like it, the compounding growth price discovery from this non like just a non-stop 
trading is starting to really steamroll and pick up. And uh, we're going to start seeing like Bitcoin is going to 2x the amount of trading time that every other asset has had. Like it's going to start picking up on gold just because, I mean, yeah, gold is permissionless, but, you know, the official venues have been relatively, <laughs> you know, boxed off for a long time. Man, you just blew my mind. Yeah, I just realized that, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like AI powered driving tools, right? Like Tesla's system or, or Google's, I forgot the name of that project, but the self-driving cars, they've accumulated more experience than any human being on earth, right? Collectively, because like it's a system that keeps on feeding on different like nodes in the network of self-driving cars. And yeah, Bitcoin is the same for, for price discovery and, and monetization. It's, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, I'll dig into that. Yeah, I think we're going to be putting out some stuff, not to tease it too early here, but Oof. keep an eye out for Bitcoin Magazine. <laughs> so, Tib, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation and, and touched on a lot of different important topics for trying to like navigate through all the noise that is the cryptocurrency space. Do you have any last words you want to give to the Bitcoin Magazine audience? I guess you can close off by plugging yourself as well. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I tend to think in first principles and I think I've learned that from many other great thinkers on Twitter, you know, whether it's Matt O'Dell or Robert Breedlove or Marty Bent or a lot of these Bitcoiners who, who have that intellectual rigor. And I think thinking about, for instance, living organisms as, as sort of the ultimate proxy for how you know, things evolve a really good proxy to understand things in Bitcoin and things in life in general. And I think it's a really good way to understand how the Darwinism will play out in, in, the, in the monetary market. So I would strongly advise myself and other people to think in first principles and, and sort of observe nature and look back in history to make sense of the noise that is currently out there today. And yeah, I mean, I love speaking about all these things on Twitter. So anybody can reach me on, on Twitter at T-H-I-B-M underscore. So Tibem, DMs open and Telegram as well. Same handle anytime. Awesome. Well, again, Tib, thank you so much. I would highly recommend Tib as a follow on Twitter. I love engaging with you on there and, and just constantly updating and, and informing our audience about everything that's happening in the Bitcoin space. So make sure to give Tib a follow over on Twitter. Make sure to give Knox Custody a follow and keep an eye out for the innovation that they're pushing on the Bitcoin custody front and making Bitcoin accessible to all of these corporations and other entities that, that need to get access to it. CK, thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. Peace. peace. Ciao. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.